0: Hello and welcome to Rock and Roll Politics with me, Steve Richards. This is the weekly podcast. Thank you all very much for tuning in wherever you are, as ever around the world, Australia, Italy, Portugal, and the United Kingdom. We're everywhere. Uh, anyway, uh, we've got a lot to get through as ever. Uh, before we start, thank you those of you who tuned in to the live stream uh, last uh, Wednesday from. King's Place, well actually from a room in my house for the very last time I was in my boudoir. Some people have suggested they build a set of the boudoir at King's Place so it looks as if I'm in my house still, for nostalgic reasons and sensual ones perhaps, Um, but that's not going to happen. The next show will be live, Indian variant permitting, at King's Place on June the 28th, Uh, Tickets are available. It will also be streamed, so if you can't get to it, you can get a stream ticket, but it will be live in the theatre, just like the olden dates. Uh, When, do you remember those times when we could gather at a theatre and have some fun together and make sense of it all? Well, it's gonna be like that again, so do come along. And then, by the way, in July, I'm gonna be live at the Greenwich Theatre. For those of you who are in that kind of part of the world, and uh, going back to the great Rope Tackle Theatre in uh, Shoreham, if you're nearby, Brighton or whatever, uh, and we can have some great live fun there. If it's okay with you... Oh yeah, no, no, before I get going, I need to report one other thing. We had our regular prediction last Wednesday, and uh, it was, Will Keir Starmer be leader of the Labour Party in a year's time? And I can reveal again for you, exclusively on the podcast, that 80% of the audience predicted he would be leader in a year's time. And we explored that live. If you missed it, quick, you could still tune in. It's on the King's Place uh, website for a few more days. Um, And it was a very interesting result, that, because Starmer unquestionably is quite vulnerable. Some people Put on the chat as you'll see if you tune in. Uh, that means he's buggered because all our predictions are wrong. But uh, it's kind of in the pattern of the Labour Party that Labour leaders are given at least one election to fight. And I thought if it's okay with you, I'd reflect a bit more today about this because Keir Starmer is being inundated with advice from Tony Blair, Alistair Campbell, uh, John McDonnell, Jeremy Corbyn, and. Uh, indeed his own deputy Angela Rayner the whole range are offering advice and I thought I'd set it up with a question actually from uh, Vicky Chapman and Vicky emailed saying hi Steve uh, excellent rock and roll politics oh thank you very much for the live stream Uh, her question was and is about Keir Starmer can he be a successful leader most of the recent coverage following the elections and the hideously botched reshuffle has been negative. However, I heard Chris Mason on Radio 4's 6 o'clock news on Tuesday saying that Keir Starmer's response to the Queen's speech was withering. This, sadly, doesn't seem to have got any widespread coverage, but it did cheer me up. Perhaps he can rise to the challenge? Question mark. It's interesting. He's he's an okay Commons performer, Vicky. I did see his response to the Queen's speech. And I suppose it was withering in the sense that he identified the obvious flaws in Johnson's proclamations of a levelling up agenda and the reality of a rather lacklustre Queen's speech. Uh, but frankly, you don't have to be the greatest political artist to identify that gap and we on this podcast have been exploring it for quite some time, raising questions about what precisely levelling up means and the policies that accompany them. But it wasn't a mesmerising performance, he's not a mesmerising speaker Uh, and indeed I think one of the challenges for Keir Starmer in the months ahead is this, that he rightly, has said it's been very tough being leader of the opposition. I haven't been able to address a public meeting or meet people on a regular basis. Uh, All his addresses have been in a room in his house, a bit like my live King's Place show. However, that means when he does start making speeches to an audience, it better be good uh, because There will be a sense of anticipation. They haven't seen him as a leader in that context. And one of the concerns I would have about him in the next few months is that it might not be that good. He's not a natural orator. He can frame an argument and does at Prime Minister's Questions and in the House of Commons. uh, And that is important. But in a public forum, and indeed when the House of Commons becomes packed, You've got to time the jokes and make sure the jokes are good. And you have to put a case in a way that is not only uh, coherent and based on policy and value, but captures an audience, that holds an audience, not just in the hall, but watching on television and, of course, the media. One of Keir Starman's problems is that his uh, leadership in recent weeks has triggered a whole lot of criticism from political journalists who mediate what you do as a leader. And so it's not automatically the case that his recovery will be based on his speaking skills, uh, to refer specifically to Vicky's question which is setting up my reflections on Starmer. however. I have a kind of sympathy with him on this level. I've read very closely the advice he's getting from all kinds of different sources. And uh, that advice too is flawed. As you know, I am a critic of Starmer so far as a Labour leader. Um, But when you analyse the advice, uh, A, it's very easy to give advice from the outside, not being a leader. But B, it's quite interesting to follow it very closely. So let's begin with the example of Tony Blair. If you haven't read it, I really do recommend you read his essay in this week's New Statesman, because it is just a joy to read in terms of the quality of the writing and the framing of a series of arguments about what Tony Blair thinks should happen next. It's got quite a lot of coverage, but it's worth reading. Partly because it's just a pleasure to read. However, step back from that, and he's still got the capacity to frame arguments in a very potent way, I think there are big problems with his advice he recommends and we've discussed this so many times on the podcast and you email me often with this proposition he recommends a progressive alliance with the liberal democrats and uh, voters currently unaffiliated to any political party Uh, and in a way he did that in the mid 1990s he worked very closely with paddy ashdown if you remember um, and Paddy Ashdown announced that the Lib Dems were no longer uh, in the middle between the Tories and Labour, they were closer to Labour. And Blair promised Ashdown a referendum on electoral reform and they were seen working closely together for the years leading up to the 97 election. However, there are two things to note about that. Ashdown was a far more formidable public figure than the Lib Dems current leader, Ed Davey, who's a very nice bloke but doesn't sparkle. Uh, And therefore I suspect that the Lib Dems pose less of a threat to Labour. There is a huge problem, I fully understand, about the fracturing of the non-Tory parties. But it's quite hard to get as excited about the prospect of working with Ed Davey as it clearly was. Blair was a great admirer of Ashdown, and it was mutual for a time. Um, And the Lib Dems are in a more um, uh, or less electorally potent state than they were from the mid-1990s, actually. Ashdown played that period incredibly well. He started from a very low base after the 1992 election and and yet made them relevant when, in fact, Blair's new Labour could have smothered them and they won many seats in 1997. Didn't stop Labour winning a huge majority. And that brings me to the second problem. Is Blair suggesting that in order to form that alliance, uh, Starmer backs electoral reform before the election? because Tony Blair himself has never been a supporter of electoral reform for the House of Commons. And he doesn't say, if you read in the article. He's never been that good about backing up broad arguments with precise policy implications. Uh, And so that's one example. Next example, he just casually says, no doubt there will be a debate about whether the nhs needs more money and those debates always happen and no doubt the nhs will get more money and then he moves on to the rather sort of convenient world of the technological revolution and he argues that this is an agenda that the progressive forces should own now he's right about that but that's easy leaders often seize upon technology. Harold Wilson did it in uh, 1960, uh, in the lead-up to the 64 election. The white hot heat of the technological revolution. Again, it raises questions about policy that Blair doesn't really go into. But just to brush aside, of course, the NHS, uh, uh, there will be a debate about more money and it'll get more money. How? One of the You know, massive exercises of his government. He let Gordon Brown do it because this wasn't his forte. Um, Was to put up a tax in the 2002 budget um, to pay for increases in spending on the NHS. And it was a traumatic, gargantuan exercise. Uh, Agonised over by number 10 and number 11. And he sort of just says, oh yeah, that will happen. He doesn't mention social care, which is a massive challenge and a political one as well, because it will involve raising money. And he's never been interested in the politics of raising money. It is tough, tough terrain. Um, So, although it is brilliantly argued, I think there are holes, big holes, in his analysis. And it does kind of refer back, not openly, to the mid-1990s. And all leaders, especially successful leaders, are the product of their time. So Mandelson, who was absolutely central to that time, and by the way, you know, an absolute assiduous committed Labour Party person, you know, he, he was there in the 80s in all the tough periods, Um, and he's still there now. But Mandelson's sort of contribution is to say, look at Labour's record. Defeat, 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 defeat. Blair, Blair, Blair. Defeat, 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 defeat. defeat." Well, yeah. But what does that mean for now? In an era uh, post the financial crash of 2008, in an era very different to the mid-1990s, where... The whole focus remained really on what the state shouldn't do and couldn't do and mustn't do, to one in which you have a Tory government talking about build back better, leveling up, making Keynesian arguments about the power of public spending. This is completely different to the mid-90s, with challenges that are great but closer to a left-of-centre agenda than the one that uh, Blair and Mandelson uh, had to contest in the mid-1990s up to their 97 landslide. So they don't really explore that at all. I interviewed Tony Blair for a programme I did on Radio 4, it's on BBC Sounds now, a year ago, and put that to him, that the agenda had changed. And he sort of acknowledged it, but didn't really explore the implications beyond saying Labour can never win if it's about public spending. Now, that was, you you know, you can see what he means because it's all about trust. And Labour isn't trusted with the economy on the whole. But that doesn't fully address it. Then let's move on to Angela Rayner and some of the interviews she's given this week with a certain sort of gung-ho style after her... victory in inverted commas, in that absurd uh, botched reshuffle by uh, Starmer. And in her interview with The Guardian she says that the problem is Labour's been too patronising with voters in the Red Wall area. What does that mean? Are they patronising? Has that been either an unconscious intention or almost an overt approach to voters? The reality is that politicians are desperate for the approval of voters, any voters, and the last thing they do is patronise them. And anyway, even if they have been, what does that mean in terms of policy, style? It's utterly vacuous. And then you go to uh, John McDonnell, who's been out and about, and, and some of those, and he reiterates the idea that uh, the policies in the December 2019 manifesto were popular. There were other problems, but not the policies. They polled well. This was what Diane Abbott said as well. Now, on this, Blair is right, that you can pluck out an individual policy, which sounds great, um, free broadband for everybody, um, but it's the accumulative impact of Uh, a ton of policies and everybody in that Labour leadership contest that followed the 29 contest agreed it was far too packed that Labour manifesto with goodies and in effect voters said this is just impossible. And it's it's a shame, really, that in a panic, they just cram more and more goodies into that 29 manifesto because John McDonnell was doing some interesting things. And he is always worth listening to, and he's been moderate in tone um, in, in terms of his reaction to uh, what happened to Labour under Starmer in his first big electoral test the other Thursday. But the 2019 manifesto, cannot be the test of his leadership. I'll come on to the fact that uh, Starmer made a whole series of commitments during the leadership contest. cannot be the basis of it. I think there are elements of it, and indeed the 2017 manifesto, which can be worked on. Um, The National Education Plan, I think, is an important uh, way of releasing people's potential of actually improving productivity because it's partly about training for adults it's not just about students and uh, and all the rest of it uh, you know there are lots of interesting things but to refer back to the 2019 as if it had been a triumph uh, is as bad as those who ignore some of the lessons of the 2017 election because the outcome didn't go as they had wished um, or, or had predicted there are lessons about Labour, and Labour did do well in 2017. Uh, I know they lost, but they, given the context of Theresa May suddenly calling an election when she was 20 points ahead in the polls, there are lessons about how voters responded to some, some of what Labour was doing then. So in this noisy post-mortem, uh, Starmer is getting advice which I suspect the voters would just most anyway, remember us lot, following every twist and turn, are so unrepresentative. But Starmer, uh, the voters will think, bloody hell, they're in chaos again. You know, they won't note much more than that and they are divided and they are falling apart. And to be honest, that is partly true. I'm afraid uh, Starmer has failed one of the key tests of a new leader, which is to bring a party together divided parties do not win elections and if this carries on and this kind of mood can feed on itself labor will lose. Um, but the nature of the advice I mean if you to follow say Tony Blair it's not a clear what precise path uh, he is advocating um, that will not necessarily lead to victory either. If he follows the McDonald advice, that won't, and the Angela Rayner one is a sort of, A, it's just kind of uh, targeting this sort of, you know, we we patronise this class or the working class, all of that too is a kind of outdated picture of British politics. Now there are bits of light in each of the contributions I've cited, uh, I had another interview with Angela Rayner, where she was uh, very interesting about authenticity. Uh, as I said with Blair, there are some uh, there is some brilliant insight, as well as I think some lazy and evasive and rather vague uh, propositions. And as ever with John McDonnell, there are things that I think he says that are valid, and uh, you know I, I agree with him that Starmer made a big strategic error, and actually was unfair, in suspending uh, Corbyn from the Labour Party. You should bring him back in. The the problems he has with the left began when uh, when, uh, Corbyn was suspended. Um, So there was sort of light in there, but no wholly coherent route towards a more stable uh, place, which is the beginning of a recovery. But that doesn't mean Starmer can just therefore say, oh yeah, I'm getting all this advice, it's all over the place, I'll carry on as before. He clearly, I said this at the King's Place live show, he reminds me of when Blair and Brown brought business leaders in. Uh, to their government, very excitedly, thinking this gave them a veneer of um, respectability and credibility. And here were people who had flourished in tough environments, who would now really enhance their government. And they all couldn't do it. They could not get the rhythms of politics, which are unique. It's a language of its own. And Keir Starmer was a very successful law- lawyer, uh, became Director of Public Prosecutions, uh an astonishingly uh, remarkable achievement and yet he doesn't get politics yet and he clearly runs his office as he ran the DPP very tight very loyal to the small staff around him without considering as you need to do in politics whether his office is delivering what is required which is not just to be loyal to him but to advise him effectively and to teach him about politics and to reach out and if he hasn't got the knack of reaching out those around him need to and as we've discussed before there is an agenda there it's a, an, a, a UK-wide agenda. Forget about targeting the red wall or targeting, in inverted commas, the working class or just saying, oh, we've lost them, so let's target the middle classes, students, the metropolitan progressives. It's a target a party must pitch for the country as a whole. And in this agenda of levelling up, build back better, Starmer has the opportunity to show and expose the weakness of the Johnson approach to this, and incidentally, a bewildered government who's still not quite sure what it means, define it very clearly and deeply because levelling up must mean more than just addressing regional inequalities. As we, I meant, you know, Rob Watson was on the podcast uh, last week. Uh, He emailed in to point out another divide is between those who own property and those who can't afford to own property. And that's not so much a geographical divide. You get a lot of homeowners in parts of the Red Wall, and you find that if you go to the cities, people can't afford to buy a place. So levelling up must take many different forms. Then you address the policies uh, that achieve a form of levelling up, and a left of centre party that believes in government as a matter of conviction uh, should find that easier than a government and a party brought up on Thatcherism. And a party that believes in a sort of Keynesian economics should be able to deal with that build back better slogan, more effectively than a party brought up on Thatcherism and the same with that phrase um, giving back control. What does that mean? I mean Brexit is is where it originated but you know I don't think people are feeling much more in control now that Brexit has happened. There is a detachment and here again a party of the, that believes the state can play a benevolent role should be in a better position. Um, and it's very interesting, this whole vaccine success and the uh, electoral popularity of incumbents in England, Scotland and Wales. The vaccine is a remarkable example of where the state and voter connects. You get a text... Telling you to go and have a vaccine at 3:15 on a certain day, and if that date's not convenient, you can change it. And it's like getting a text from Boris Johnson saying, "Look, do go along at 3:15, 3:15, uh, if that's convenient, and you'll get a vaccine. You'll be much safer." And and people, you know, make a connection with that in a way they don't about um, hospitals opening, Um, they see the hospitals opening, but they don't say, oh yeah, that happened because the government worked out how to raise the money, and we're going to invest it in a certain way. And that kind of connection works, as Andy Burnham has been arguing, uh, with a more local approach. I think mayors are very effective. But also, you can do it centrally, but you've got to work very hard at ensuring voters make the connection Um, and otherwise they'll just kind of say oh yeah that's happening and not kind of see how it the sequence which brought it about and will continue to feel disconnected. Um, So there is a kind of agenda for Starmer uh, just on that then you have the consequences of uh, this Conservative government for 11 years the uh, the need to address still the consequences of the misjudged austerity program of Cameron and Osborne and by the way you know Cameron I oh got the number of non-Tory journalists I met who just fell for Cameron in opposition I remember Ian Katz saying to me you know he's now at Channel 4 he was editor of Newsnight but he was The, the Guardian then uh, Steve Cameron's the real deal he, he, he's the future. You know, they all, some at the BBC, oh yeah, no, he's the modernising centrist and all the rest of it. None of them are saying that now after his uh, uh, near day-long interrogation by two select committees. Um, and his, you know, he, he was always, uh, well, I'm not surprised by what's happened to him in his post-prime ministerial career. And there are still, lots to be addressed from the chaos of his rule and uh, George Osborne's economic policies. Um, So there's a kind of ready-made agenda there and then there is climate change. They all mention climate change, Tony Blair mentions it, you know, all those giving Starmer advice. But how is difficult and politically challenging because it won't all be benevolent for voters there will be sacrifices in making changes uh, where climate change is a focus how do you do it uh, what are the electoral political implications um so there's a massive agenda i mentioned social care it's the great one hovering you know johnson said in july 2019 when he became prime minister he had a plan if he had a plan we would know it he clearly didn't doesn't um or if it If he does, they're too scared to unveil it yet because it will cost money. The politics of raising money is as challenging as anything else. And you can see why Gordon Brown got annoyed with Tony Blair above the fact that he won the leadership in 1994. Um, Is this thing that he he does these tantalising, mesmerising arguments, but some of the hard grind implicit in the arguments is kind of missed out and Brown had to find the means to raise taxes to pay for the increases in the NHS spending, and so on. Um, And there's still a bit of that, but I would read his essay because it's very good. Anyway, well, I've been going on for probably long enough now, so just a kind of reminder, i'm going to give you the email because i'm not going to do questions this week because we've had questions last week questions at king's place so i thought i'd give you a break from the questions but let's do a few next week uh, so do get in touch with me it's steve rick 1414 at icloud.com any points any questions what you're doing while you're listening to the podcast which i mean the variety of activities is getting wider um any recipes i'm still getting requests for the details of that wonderful pasta olive kind of recipe uh from italy the other week um i can't write it out again it's out there on one of the podcasts i did read it out um and of course any points and questions and just a reminder first live show since lockdown king's place june the 28th book your tickets and then in July, and I think they're on sale at the Greenwich Theatre and the Rope Tackle Theatre down in Shoreham. Yeah, and in the autumn, by the way, going up to, uh, to the northeast, Barna Castle, great uh, art centre there, with them in um, Barna Castle. November the 6th, I think it is. Um, and there'll be a few more uh, for me to give you details of. In the coming weeks, assuming we are out of this, big, big assumption, of course. Anyway, look, thank you so much for listening and uh, have a great week. Going to be many twists and turns this week. I feel politics is interesting, a really interesting period. I said it at King's Place um, on Wednesday night. It's closer now to one of those political thrillers where nothing is quite what it seems. The Brexit drama was a political thriller, but it was all on the surface. It was like a helter-skelter ride, but we all kind of knew we were on it and why. Here, nothing is quite what it seems, I think. That applies to Nicholas Sturgeon in Scotland, Johnson in England, and, uh, and the challenges of Starmer and the Labour Party. Anyway, look, thank you very much. Have a great week. Uh, Do subscribe. That means you get this automatically. If you could leave a review, that's brilliant because apparently more people get it, as if by magic. And um, yeah, see you next time in this political thriller where nothing is quite what it seems. Thank you.